Good evening to our neighbors and listeners coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown. You are listening to the award-winning InfoHub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. And I'm Maleka Fruin, living here in Germantown with my family. And you might hear some traffic from Philadelphia in the background. Germantown InfoHub Radio Hour explores all things happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia, covering them in an hour or less. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, on Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at Germantown InfoHub. Two segments are planned for today, hearing from three different voices. The first segment is Maleka in conversation with Marie Lambert on the upcoming True Way Conference for young people ages 12 to 19. We'll learn a little bit more about Lambert and her crusade to get the youth to think outside the box. And for our second segment, you'll hear Rashid in conversation with Tamara Sankara Colombo as a follow-up to our Black Business segment on the September 1st show of the InfoHub Hour. And they will discuss why vendor spaces are vital for the sustainability of Black businesses here in the neighborhood and everywhere else. The owner of Mumbo Studios, Kiko L, will also weigh in on that conversation. Now let's start our show. Marie, it is so good to talk to you and uh, hear your thoughts. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So for folks who aren't familiar, can you just give us a little introduction to yourself and your organization, True Way? So I am an educator through and through. I've been uh, an educator for a little more than 30 years. Uh, Most of that has been uh, preschool. And I transitioned uh, from preschool to a substitute teacher, uh, kind of, you know, teaching all grades, pushing into different schools. And in addition to that, I started the True Way Youth Empowerment Foundation uh, several years ago just because I wanted to uh, give young people experiences and options that they may not have readily had access to. And uh, that just kind of leads my work. That's kind of uh, what I do. I'm, I'm an educator who uh, loves working with young people, loves inspiring and empowering young people, and just kind of helping them to uh, realize that they deserve the best and um, help them strategize and figure out ways to be their best selves. Yeah. And it, so one of your cornerstones of True Way is these conferences that you put together and you've put to put them together for multiple years. I know COVID shut it down for a little bit. Tell us about these conferences and how they really focus on middle school and high school kids. I'm excited that we are able to um, present the conference in person this year. Uh, Originally, when we started the conferences, we did two conferences a year which was quite an undertaking. It was just crazy, right? I don't know if you've ever done any event planning, right? And then um, originally the conferences were presented with uh, three different developmental groups. So we had something for early learners or four developmental groups, uh, early education. um, And then we had like the three, I mean, the elementary, middle, and then high school. And um, and those were very successful. The young people got to meet uh, entrepreneurs and business professionals and uh, athletes and um, healthcare officials that looked like them, that often came from the same communities or shared a lot of the same experiences. And what that taught them was that these are people that are everyday people, not like you know, somebody that is untouchable or mystified and they're doing things that I could do. They come from where I come from. They've had some of the same experiences that I have had. And if I do this, if I have this kind of education, if I pay attention to this and take these classes in school, I could do that too. And so fast forward, um, this year we decided to go with middle and high school only and just because what we have seen since the pandemic was such an uptick in negative behaviors uh 
uh, kids that are having trouble self-regulating, uh, kids who have uh, trouble with uh, delayed gratification and or connecting their actions and behaviors with consequences or natural consequences, not really being able to see the big picture. So the conference this year is called Character Matters. And um, it I, I'm excited about the workshops that we have put together and the community partners that have come together to support the conference this year. So Character um, Matters, I know that's, that's pretty broad. And I know I... I talked to you earlier this uh, this year, and I heard that you had so you are an educator, like you said, and you had a lot of creative ways to show kids in these conferences about how character matters. Do you want to speak on that a little bit? Sure. My roots as a preschool teacher taught me that learning has to be interactive and immersive. So kids have to be immersed in a subject or an area um, of inquiry in order for them to not only engage with it, but really to learn it and internalize it. So um, all of our workshops are interactive and engaging. So whenever we send, we send out a call for proposals, and when we get the proposals back, one of the questions is, how will you engage the young people? How will it be interactive? And so there's got to be some music or singing or role playing or building or painting or drawing or something. Uh, and, and conversations are good, but it's got to be even a little further than that so that the young people really internalize the experience. They really have to internalize the ex experience. One of the workshops that we are presenting um, for the first time uh, in this way is uh, what would you do? So mm. we did it once before where we had some actors and it's patterned after that show on, I believe it's ABC with Don Quinones called What Would You Do? And you, yes. um, so we did that years ago and we had some actors from Freedom Theater come in and just like create a ruckus. And we watched, we observed from a two-way mirror and saw like the kids, we got the kids authentic reactions. And then we went in and facilitated the conversation about the choices and the decisions that they made. So this year will be the first time that we're presenting that again. Um, and while we don't have actors and actresses, um, there's, there's, it's still interactive, but it's uh, really to get the kids authentic reactions um, and for them to really think about the kinds of choices and decisions that they make when they are faced with a dilemma, a moral or ethical dilemma. And this really helps them to kind of see like who they are um, and who they'd like to be. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm really excited about doing that one in particular. But we have some really good workshops designed to evoke uh, really uh, critical analysis again, of their character and who they are, um, where they see themselves and uh, where they want to be, you know, the kind of citizens that they really want to be. And are they um, mindful enough um, or reflective enough to really, you know, take it all in and to, to really take assessment of who they are and then be able to make adjustments if they need to. Well, you definitely sound like an educator because I definitely could see all that coming into play, all the interactive ways of learning, role-playing, all those different kinds of things. And I know that this conference, like you said, it's called, it, it is Character Matters. It's called Think Outside the Box. Why may, Why did you call it that? Originally, we changed the theme of the conference every year. And Think Outside the Box was one um, we probably... Um, use that theme in 2000, I want to say 16. And the reason that it's called the think outside the box is because what we do is original. It is unlike any other conference that most young people have ever been to or gone to. And again, we make sure that the experiences are varied and different. And it really, um, is beyond something that they have already experienced or 
also something that they they may not be comfortable with. And, you know, part of Shoeway's mission is to engage young people in experiences and exposure to things that they haven't had access to or they may not be aware of and to really come out of their comfort zone um, and to think bigger and broader. Mm. So you really have to think outside of your box, think outside of your community, think outside of your school, think outside of your home and to really dream big. And then the conference uh, presenters really arm the young people with the tools that they need the schooling, uh, the education, whatever cert certifications they need to have, what the salaries are, what the pros are, what the cons are, so that kids are able to make informed choices about uh, what they like to do after school or, you know, doing school or kind of with their lives, you know, and they see people who are doing it. And sometimes they think, um, you know, after they've, you know, experienced it, hey, that's not something that I want to do. Or, they might think, you know, that is something that I want to do. Or I had never thought of that. Um, you know, that's something that I'd be interested in doing. Yeah. Marie, what are like some specific ways that that y'all get the kids to think outside of that box to push those comfort zones? One of our signature workshops is the Think Outside the Box workshop, where we give the kids a box filled with unstructured items and um, depending on what the subject is, we ask them to create something from the box. And the end result is it's not the product uh, that we're after, but it is the process. And within that process, if it's a, a box where uh, individuals are working on a box individually, we think about creativity. We think about confidence because oftentimes you give kids a box full of um stuff all the older kids get the more inhibited they are mm -hmm. if you give a three-year-old a box of stuff they can do all kinds of stuff with it they don't need any instructions or help or support um they're creative and you know a kid can play with a box of stuff for hours but if you give it to an 11 or 12 or 14 or 15 year old they don't know what to do with it so it pushes them to be creative it pushes them to uh, be persistent. Um, it pushes them to really think about, do I have what it takes um, to make something out of what is in this box? And then uh, we also do it where there is a group project. And then we think about uh, leadership skills. Who's the leader? Who took charge? Who sat back? Who was uh, able to collaborate? and cooperate with other people who was able to exchange and accept other people's thoughts and ideas. And then what did you come up with at the end? Who's the spokesperson? Who didn't contribute anything? Who was so uncomfortable that they just kind of sat back or withdrew? Um, so we think about all these things. And at the end, we talk about um, all of us are, we come with a, a box of tools. All of us come with our own experiences and circumstances. So we use the analogy lemons. We all come with our own lemons and you have to be able to make lemonade from what's in your box. You have to use the tools that are in your box to create the life that you want. Um, so, and kids really like that. And at first, again, they're like, I don't want to do it. Like this is a box of junk. I don't want to do Anything and the stuff that that's in the box comes right from the dollar store. <laughs> it's nothing fancy, you know what I mean. It's nothing overly structured or anything like that. I mean, I'm talking stuff like pencils and index cards, and they get like either glue, a glue stick, some tape. There sometimes it's erasers, a pencil sharpener, uh, five Legos, um, uh, a stick of gum. You know, different, like very unstructured things and they get, they have to create something from it. Um, and then at the end, they have to get up and present what they made and really talk about what the process is. And even the ability to get up and present something is a skill and something that a lot of people are uncomfortable doing. So mm -hmm. getting up and even speaking in front of uh, oftentimes strangers or even your classmates. So that's another way that we kind of push them to come out of their comfort zone, to think outside the box, 
uh, to be really creative, right? And to use what you have. You can't borrow from somebody else. You can't ask for anything else. Um, and you don't get a whole lot of instructions. And that's the other part. I like that kids become problem solvers and critical thinkers because there are some kids who they don't think to cut it or rip it or bend it. And other kids who will rip, bend, tear, say, those are the kids, you know, that are going to go far because, mm -hmm. and, you know, and they'll say, well, she didn't say you couldn't rip it. You didn't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So and we just kind of give them the box and let them go with it. And the only rule is you have to use everything that's in the box. It sounds like there's so many experiences that could come out of these kind of open-ended and interactive uh, discussions and activities. Could could you tell us maybe about a a moment that you can think of that was impactful for you as you've had as 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 you've done these conferences before and you've done these activities before? Uh, one of the most impactful for me was having a conversation with a group of young people at one of uh, the schools in North Philadelphia, and we talked about littering. Because um, we talk a lot about character, who you are. Um, and within that, we talk about the environment. And because I noticed that oftentimes I, I was in a classroom and kids would throw paper on the floor, trash on the floor, there's gum on the, on the tables and, you know, things like that, where they kind of trash the bathroom. You ever been to a bathroom in a middle or high school? And, and so I asked them about, if you went into the suburbs or in King of Prussia or Chestnut Hill, uh, would you eat something and drop trash on the ground? And the kids said, no. Hmm. And I said, why not? And they said, because it's already clean. You can tell, you know, like one, you might get into trouble. Two, it's really clean and neat there and you don't want to mess things up. And I asked them, how does it make you feel when you go through those areas, those parts of the city? It makes you feel like people care. It makes you feel safe. It makes you feel like you're not going to um, be, you know, assaulted or hurt or robbed. And um, it makes you feel like, you know, like this is a special place to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? So in your community, why do you how does it make you feel when you see trash and, you know, stuff on the ground? And and it said it makes you feel unsafe. It makes you. It lets you know that people don't really care and that it's high crime. And I said to them, do you know that if you don't throw trash on the ground, there won't be trash on the ground? And right. if you want to feel uh, safe um, in your environment, then you create the safety in your environment. Hmm. And you deserve the same clean streets and areas and parks in those um, suburban places and other townships that we talked about, you deserve that too. You're good enough for that. Mm -hmm. And that was an aha moment for me because, you know, I, I know that that's important, but I didn't, under, I didn't get what the kids thinking was about it. Right. So at the end of that conversation, these were, this was a group of 10th graders at the end of the conversation, uh, a young man and a young woman, a young girl came to me and they said, thank you for having that talk with us about trash. And the boy said, yeah, it's, it, at first it seemed like it was just a conversation about trash, but I know that that affects my attitude, that trash, like, it affects my mood, it affects my behavior. Um, when I go, when I come to school and I walk through all that trash and mess you know, so it affects my attitude. So, um, and the girl said, I'm going to make sure that I'm just, I'm going to tell everybody not to throw trash on the ground. One, because we deserve better. Hmm. And, you know, and, you know, and again, it was a conversation about littering and trash and things like that. But it was so important because the young people were just not even aware of how something that simple and small really impacted them until it was said out loud. And that's what I aim to do is to say, say it out loud. And that's why um, we, the theme this year is character matters because anything that we want our kids to know, whatever we want them to be, whatever we want them to see or feel, 
it's important for us to say it. It's important for us to model it. And it's important for us to expect it of them. Mm -hmm. So that um, if you want them to be kind and generous and respectful, say, be kind, be generous and be respectful, be forgiving. These are things that they don't automatically know. So it's, you know, it's important. Yeah, there's a lot of power in just saying it out loud. Saying it out loud and let them know that that's an expectation. I expect you to be kind. I expect you to be are respectful. I expect, you know, these are things, but they also have to see that as well. Right. Maria, is there anything you'd like to add? So for the conference this year, we have a myriad. And, you know, somebody asked me initially, like, how are you going to do a conference about character? Well, I'm like, I'm glad you asked me because <laughs> um, we have yoga, trauma-informed yoga, and um, culturally relevant mindfulness. And we have a male and female mentoring workshop. We have uh, the Brown Table Talk with a psych- uh, licensed therapist and psychologist to just have a big rap session with the young people to see what's on their minds and help them kind of express themselves um, in ways that they may not you know, feel uh, comfortable all the time. Uh, we have some art. We have affirmations. The young women who created the affirmations in West Philadelphia, and they've also partnered with um, uh, the mural arts program to come and help the kids create affirmation signs. Because affirmations, what we say to ourselves, um, is what we manifest in our lives. Um, and uh, we have a filmmaker who makes documentaries to come and talk to the kids about that process and how to be your authentic self and capture that on camera and what to put out uh, and how your character and integrity plays a large role, uh, a huge role in that. And then we have a music workshop. One of the workshops that Trueway is promoting this year is a music mission workshop where we take a group of kids and in the course of six weeks, turn them into a choir. Wow. It's a, it's amazing. So we will be doing that at the conference in about an hour and a half. So they, right. So um, we have a phenomenal uh, vocalists and vocal trainers uh, coming um, to just work with the kids and do some fun vocal exercises, vocal uh, warmups, and then um, either do some kind of singing with them or uh, vocal like percussions or something like that. But Singing is uh, gives kids a sense of community. It takes some discipline, um, you know, and it builds confidence and competence because people that won't uh, speak in front of a crowd can often sing in front of a crowd. So I'm excited about the workshops that we have um, lined up. We have a DJ. We have uh, Amir Rogers from the Positive Vibe Tour coming. We have a TikTok uh um, phenom coming to lead the kids in some TikToks and we also having some TikTok dances. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm so excited. And then, um, and we have a, an escape room. Who's been to a conference where there's an escape room for young people. So, so many yes, different experiences, so many different experiences, something for everybody, but every experience is designed to help kids to really think about who they are, um, where they are, and where they want to go, what what kind of person they want to be, and what kind of impact they want to leave, what kind of legacy they want to create. I often ask young people, if you were gone tomorrow, what would people say about you? What would people say about you? Great. Who would they say you were? Yeah. And it's a great, and again, it's something that gets them to be a little very introspective. So, and that's what the conference is designed for. So I'm excited and we are invited kids from all over the city of Philadelphia. We are, we're still reaching out to schools because the goal is to uh, impact 1,000 by 300. If we get 300 kids at the conference, they're going to tell at least two or three other people about the conference and we will impact at least a thousand young people. Imagine 1,000 young people being more socially conscious and aware of their behaviors and actions and how that can help to change the current uh, social climate that's here in the city of Philadelphia. Mm. 
True Ways Think Outside the Box Character Matters Conference will be held on Saturday, September 24th, 2022 at Mastery Charter Picket School in Germantown for ages 12 through 18 years old. And you can register on their website at truewayyef.org. Is there any other places to register, Marie? You can go to our link tree on our um, Instagram page at truewayyef. Right in our link tree, you can go there and register as well. And if your school wants, I can bring, uh, we have registration cards. I have 400 of them. So I can drop off a handful and it has a cute, a QR code right on there and you can scan it with your phone and just uh, register your kids. Oh, start the school year. Right. Thank you so much for yes, your time, Marie. Yes. Awesome. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. appreciate you. Bye-bye. The last episode segment focusing on Black businesses portrayed the listeners the historical and cultural significance of the minority-owned businesses in our neighborhood. One theme that continuously came up across the various voices we heard was vendors and the markets for them. Throughout the different points made, it became obvious that vendors, whether selling online or in person at pop-up shops and markets, were and continue to be a huge contribution to the legacy of Black businesses in the neighborhood. With that finding, we thought it necessary to have a segment focusing on the importance of supporting vendors and vendors markets as a way to help sustain Black businesses beyond that one-year mark. In fact, an article from CNBC outlined a shocking truth that 20% of small businesses fail by their first-year mark, 30% by the second, 50% by the fifth, and 70% by the 10th year. And for Black businesses specifically, those numbers are even more condensed, with eight out of 10 of them failing within the first 18 months of operation. It's also a known fact that between late May and early June of 2020, Google searches for Black-owned businesses near me reached were massive, and Black businesses even saw a rise in business in the following months after George Floyd's unjust death. And after only a few months, Black businesses then saw their numbers drop once again. Today, I will be in conversation with Tamara Sankara Quilombo, the owner of Black Soul Vintage, a Black-centered secondhand consignment shop, about why she's taking on the initiative of hosting a Black-centered vendor space called the Black Soul Block Party, and to give other thoughts surrounding some of the same information we've shared. We will also hear clips from one of the vendors of the Black Soul Block Party, Kiko L., who is the owner and operator of Mumbo Studios, which is an online and pop-up vintage shop. Both people will help us to understand the importance of price points in vending, how supporting vendors helps the sustainability of Black businesses, the connotation behind what a business means, the link between the pandemic and decline in support, and so much more. That conversation starts now. Okay, Tamara, so just tell me about the Black Soul Block Party. I've been to a few myself, of course, but I want you to just explain the magic. <laughs> uh, so the Black Soul Block Party is a monthly vendor's market that caters specifically to Black-owned businesses, brands, creatives, and artists. I hope that through the market, we can bring the community out, create a space for Black business owners to show their goods and get their product out there. And um, we do kind of focus mainly on vintage, but I do allow other vendors to come. So we have a little bit of everything because I'm really big on the diversity within ourselves and we can make and do so many different things. So I like to have different folks showing what they can do coming out. So we normally always have body products, candles, uh, vintage home goods, jewelry. We've had spiritual readings before. We always have the water ice truck come out. So I just love like mixing and matching and putting different people together. And it also gives folks a chance to network. The price point for tabling is low. So I really hope to bring in people who are new to vending and giving them that opportunity and experience. 
that's something that I'm unfamiliar with and some people are unfamiliar with is like that price point. Why was it important for you to make that price point a low number to like get be able to vend at the space? Well, vending can be really um, intimidating for a lot of people. Tabling prices can vary depending on the event, where you are. There's so many different factors that go into the pricing, but prices could go up into $1,000 for a table for certain events. I wanted to make sure that there was an entry point for people. So our tabling fee is $25 at this time. And that allows you to bring your own table, your own chairs. You're just really supporting the market, helping the organization of everything and the administrative parts of everything. And that just allows people to say, okay, I can make $25 back. A lot of times with vending, and you'll talk to people while you're out, if you're out vending, people are like, I got to make my vendors fee back. I just, you're, you know, you're spending those first couple hours like, okay, I'm trying to get my table and feedback. If I pay $100 to be here, I got the pressure, right, to make at least $100 just to, you know, break even for coming out. So it was really important to me to keep that price low so people have a, an opportunity to vend because maybe you're very first starting out. You haven't sold anything. <laughs> you know, you don't know what might happen. You've never shown your products or your pieces to other people. So that gives you a, a chance to break in without breaking the bank, right? And it reduces the selling pressure on the person because I think the bigger part of vending is making connections with folks. A lot of people don't like vending because you do have to have that personal interaction. It, re it requires you to have conversations with new people, to spark up conversations with people. Um, but that is really the bigger, more important part of it because everybody's not going to buy any anything. Sometimes you are hoping that this person that I talked to, maybe they had already spent all their money before they got to my table. They would love to support, but they can't. But they're going to go on my website after. They're going to come find me at the next event. They're going to seek me out at the next market that they go to. And you start building community and folks who know who you are and what you're about and can also share that with other people. Um, so when that pressure is lower on like the selling, if you're not selling so well that day, you're like, okay, it was only $25. Let me just focus on the marketing aspect. Now this is just a marketing expense. This is an investment. Um, and getting my brand out there. Pico L, who is the owner and operator of Mumbo Studios, which operates in vendor markets and online, also had something to say about the price point, agreeing with Tamara's point about how they can sometimes be too high, which is why Black Soul Vintage Lock Party was a perfect fit for her and her studio. So, and that's always the issue too, right? Because it's like, I think a lot of vendors or small businesses do really well at markets because you get to sell yourself in person, but then the accessibility sometimes isn't there for the markets that you know that you could do really well at. And that's what I love about, you know, vending with Tamara, especially because the vendor fee is only $25. Whereas there are a lot of flea markets that happen in Philly um, that have been around for a while that can go up to exactly what you were saying up to like $300 just to vend for a day or for a weekend. And that's just not accessible for everybody. So it's really great to have the option. And it's really great to be in the neighborhood and in community and feel like you're with family and that there is just like the opportunity for anyone to be able to put themselves out there and their business out there. I questioned Tamara about why she decided to start the Black Soul Block Party. And that led to a more fruitful discussion around the connotation around what business means to some people, the drop in support of Black businesses, and even more. Um, the idea had been stirring in my head for a little over a year um, in Brooklyn. It's called Building Black Best Buy. And I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And they have, I think theirs is weekly. Theirs is weekly and it's all weekend. So you could choose a day, Saturday, Sunday. I think it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but they're in New York. So they got a lot more moving traffic all the time. Um, but when I did the market, it was just such a beautiful experience to be with other Black vendors, to be in a space where I knew that the folks coming by would be interested in what I was selling. Um interested in what I was doing, would like to learn more about it. I already knew like the crowd was something like 
what I was looking for for my brand and who I would really appreciate having be a part of my community. Um, so experiencing that market was like the initial thought process. Then I saw um, in Los Angeles, I used to live in LA and people started sending me this black flea market that's out there. It's called Black Market Flea. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like they just had a whole market, all black folks, um, kind of doing similar what they were doing in, in, in Brooklyn, a little bit of everything. What well, it said flea market, but there was vintage, there was other brands, there was food. Uh, and that market, I believe, started last year. It has blown up. Like if you just see the growth through their Instagram as far as the crowd, like it has really blown up. Um, so when I saw that grow so quickly, I was like, oh shoot. I'm like, dang, we don't have any space like that here. We're in this black ass city and there is no consistent recurring vendors market specifically for black creatives. And I'm like, that doesn't make no sense to me. If Thunderbird Salvage can be in Fishtown and hold flea markets every single year, three, four times a year consistently, and they just get bigger and bigger, why can't Black people have that exact same space? Because a lot of times we want to participate in those other markets, and we, and we do, I do, but it can be really intimidating. It can be really discouraging when you're really unsure if the type of crowd that's coming out is interested in what I'm doing is comfortable with what I'm doing. Cause I, especially with me, Kaner specifically to black folk, you'd be like, okay, hey, you gonna get these books. You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you gonna be interested in this? Like, are they gonna buy anything? So they can just be really intimidating. And I was like, God, we just really need that space for us. Um, and then I kind of got disgusted that we, <laughs> that we didn't have that space for us. Like we can't wait till a doon day, you know, to do, any vending. And then even with that, again, the price point, a Dunde, the tables are $500. That's a huge price point um, to get into. So if you're new at this, if you're unsure about your product, you don't have that, you know, to spend and to risk on what you're doing. So we really need that space. It needs to be regular. It needs to be reoccurring. It needs to be known. It needs to be a thing that is to be, is to do and be done. That's how I felt. So thus far, I'm hearing two things that these spaces can 100% bring that you bring specifically that Black Soul Block Party helps is with that low price point. And then the idea that some people who are business owners are in the beginning stages of experimenting their brands. Right. And that's also a contributing factor. So that makes perfect sense to me. And so, of course, Black Soul Vintage only opened just a few months ago. So I'm sure your background as an online and um, vendor retailer has influenced you. So what from your time without a storefront did you learn um, that you take with you now into like doing these spaces? Building relationships with people and having conversations with people. Um, not being afraid to share what you're doing with folks, um, whether you think they'll like it or not. Um, and it's really all about your personality. I, I feel like my personality has done more for me <laughs> than anything. And just trying to be genuine and really connect with people. I think that does more for me um, than anything. And that's the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from doing online eventing because that's really all you can show is your personality they can see the products but anybody can post products anybody can take pictures of books and post them if I don't show my personality by responding to my dms and talking to people and getting in the comments and when I'm in person having that ex you know exact same vibe just trying to be on the same vibration with everyone all the time I don't think it would be doing as well as it is now if I didn't put that into it. And I think that's what people need to realize, even through vending, it's really about your personality. If you don't have that storefront for people to come in and get that physical experience, right, then you need to like really be given it by how you're talking with people and uh, communicating with folks. You're so right. Even at the um, Black Soul Block Party, when I went in August, or was that July? It was July. Um. <laughs> CS Candle Co. I was taking photos and it was 
her jumping out to get inside the photo. So, you know, usually when you take photos of like surroundings, some people be like, oh, I don't want to be in there. And a lot of the vendors were like, uh, let me get out the way. But she jumped into the photo and like she posed and that pulled me into her because I was uh -huh. like, oh, wow. Like, you know, she got some personality on her. And then like with knowing her stuff and then the way she was just so like eloquent and detailed about what each like item does. Cause she didn't just have candles. She had like wax. She had like, you know, the wax, she had wax burners. Child, I would have bought the whole table if I had the money, <laughs> but you're so right. It was the personality that really, really like drugged me in and she got my coins. <laughs> so my next question is gearing a little bit towards like the neighborhood cultural significance so vendors markets are historically significant in this neighborhood specifically. Um, I know there used to be one that used to run outside of where the old path market is. What's that thing called now? The IGA. So <laughs> there used to be oh. some that used to run outside of there. Um, but what do you know about them? Do you know any, do you know about any of the cultural significance of those in the neighborhood? You know what? I don't know about too many um, vendors markets that have been here in, in Germantown. I do know the ladies do be out in front of the IGA still. They are out there and I <laughs> them too. And the ladies do be out there. And there also used to be a guy um, named Mr. Shannon that used to sell right in front of that school over there um, across from Burger King. Cheyenne. Uh, Cheyenne, Mr. Cheyenne, not Shannon, Mr. Cheyenne. Um, who used to sell right in front of the school over there um, on the weekends all throughout the summer. So those are the only spaces that I know. In the church on Germantown Avenue, um, up here across from Bargain Thrift Center, they also have a flea market out front. Um, so those smaller uh, spaces, and really just folks come out, the, the church is a little more organized, but the ladies in front of the IGA, you know, they just doing it. They just hustling old school style. Like we popping up, it'd be people out here. Um, I really respect that. And that's really the energy, right? Um, even the fact that we just pop up on the sidewalk, because, you know, I had other ideas. About, oh, the space and where should we be? We pulling up, we right here with it. You know, we have the space, let's use it. Um, let's do the best that we can with what we have. And it's really worked out and it's turned out to be like the best spaces. You know, it's set up just right. The building owner is really excited about having us out here. Um, and it brings some liveliness to a part of the neighborhood that is usually pretty quiet and not too many people like come back here for anything other than just driving right past. Um, so I really appreciate that too. Why is that important that we give our business to those people? I think that there is a, personally, I think there is a myth that these people don't necessarily contribute to the economy or the culture of the neighborhood, but I'm 100% sure that you would have a rebuttal on that. <laughs> um, I definitely would. Anybody that's getting money and spending money is contributing to the economy. Um, so I think it's really important that we support people that are intelligent enough and brave enough to step out on their ideas and, and come out in the public and, and sell their goods and hustle and work hard um, in all the ways that we claim we want people to do, pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and, you know, doing what you got to do. I think when you're vending, and especially when that's your main thing that you do, you deserve a lot of respect um, as a real American hustler, right? Like you, you're doing the damn thing. So I think that people who would believe that they're not contributing in, in some way would be dead wrong. You're 100% right. It makes me think about hat cabs. Like hat cabs are vendors. People don't realize like yeah. <laughs> they are hat and they have help. They money and then they go shopping for their family and buy groceries yes. everything else. Um, and especially in a day and age where everybody wants to be anti-big business and anti-capitalism and, you know, F Amazon and Walmart and all these places, you can't say all that and then not want to support your local folks that are putting out a lot of times a much higher quality product, a much more curated product and a much more thoughtful product. And I like to know that if I buy something from one of my vendors outside that I helped her family get groceries, I helped her pay a bill, I helped her get a gift that she wanted to get for herself, I helped her, you know, I feel like I, as soon as I gave you my dollar, I immediately helped you out. 
And so now I want to ask, do you think that there's a link between Black businesses that operate through vendor markets and pop-up shops and the long-term sustainability of Black businesses? So again, I think about when people think of business, they automatically assume that there's a storefront involved. And that mm. word business implies some kind of permanent physicality. Um, I mean, it's 2022 and that's the idea that people got to let go. Period. A lot of these stores that we shop at and the ones that do a lot of times had to grow online until they could move into that physical space. So I think that association has to change. And I think it will change and is changing um, because a lot of times what we think is the bigger conversation is really just older people. And as more and more young people come into the fold, the narrative begins to change and shift um, because I do think younger people realize that a lot of places don't have physical space um, and won't have a physical space, especially if we don't turn around, you know, the cost, the overall cost to run a physical space, um, it only grows every day. Uh, and becomes more and more unattainable, especially to Black folks, um, especially if you can't get the funding, especially if you can't, uh, you know, crowdfund the money, especially if you can't do this, that, and the third. Vending is can only grow because it gives more and more people an opportunity. Um, it's like the internet, right? Everybody can have a page. Everybody can create content. Everybody can carve a way for themselves in this new, new space. And I think vending and, and creating online shops is definitely the way for the future. And so moving into the future, but also looking at the past, I'm thinking about how everybody says we're on the verge of another recession, child. But then <laughs> I'm also thinking, I'm not ready for that, by the way. And also thinking about how we're still in a pandemic. Things are a little bit more stable and I'm going to emphasize a little bit <laughs> more stable, but I do know that there has been a drop in revenue for Black businesses, but then also a drop in Black businesses in general um, through the pandemic. So do you think that there's a link between the drop in Black businesses in recent years and the pandemic? And then again, I'm thinking about that reliance on Black business owners and what you talked about, how that in-person engagement is important. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think so, uh, especially because most a lot of Black business arts are smaller. A lot of them are relying on vending events, not just their physical store. Um, so losing events like that, period, for like two years, like no festivals, no nothing, no, you know, even if you wanted to pop up on the sidewalk, you would be looking crazy. You know, like it, also the social, like, okay, no, don't do that. In addition to a lot of brick and mortar stores couldn't make it. A lot of brick and, brick and mortar stores couldn't make it, especially the older folks, because that internet, that's really important. And if you're not up on the marketing, you're not up on the social media, that could really take a huge toll. So I definitely think um, that is a huge impact. The pandemic was a huge impact um, on Black business owners. Multi-time Black Soul Block Party vendor Kiko L. weighs in to give their sentiments on what they believe is the reason behind the dropping number of support since the start of the pandemic, citing not only the isolation of COVID, but the absolution of non-Black folks following the trends that sprouted from the racial justice uprisings. I definitely think that there is a link, um, especially because of, you know, that spike that we had in the beginning of the pandemic for everyone supporting Black business. Um, and it's the same for mutual aid. Me personally, I think that non-Black people scroll right past now. They, in the beginning, I think it was just like, I don't know. I don't know if it was like people felt obligated to do something because it was so in your face, but it's something obviously being black, it's our reality every day. Um, but I think it's easier for non-black people to just ignore things eventually. Um, because I've noticed it myself with, um, I share a lot of mutual aid on my personal page. Um, and obviously I have my own business and I promote a lot of black businesses and the views, clicks, whatever that I have received, um, 
in the beginning of the pandemic to now, it's a very stark difference. But I also think that it plays a role in how, you know, the algorithm affects those things as well, because a lot of people who share a lot of mutual aid or black businesses constantly I've noticed are shadow banned more or like, you know, they, something is happening. So yeah, I definitely think that there is a direct link. Uh, I, it's like amazing to me. I mean, it's, it's never a surprise, but it's amazing to me to see um, real time as an adult. I'm, I'm 29 now. Um, how performative sometimes supporting black business can be for non-black people. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that there is a link there. The Black Soul Vintage owner and operator Tamara ended the interview by answering the question, how does it feel to be able to give space to others who are coming up and give them the first step into becoming a successful Black business owner? And this is how she answered. It feels amazing because you get to kind of create and curate the market that you would have wanted to be at, right? Something that would have been great for your business. If this would have been around, this would have been amazing. Um, so I really like the idea of creating that space that I would have loved to be vending in. To stay updated with the Black Soul Block Party, you can follow Black Soul Vintage on Instagram, where there are regularly scheduled updates about the shop. Right now, Black Soul Vintage is open on Thursday through Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can also shop Black Soul Vintage online at blacksoulvintage.com. And for folks interested in Mumbo Studios, you can follow them on Instagram at Mumbo Studios. Once again, we just want to thank both Tamara and Kiko for sharing their experiences and insight with the InfoHub and our neighbors. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have a story that you want to hear covered, please, please, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com. And you can also check us out on Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, Facebook at Germantown Infohub, and on our website at www.germantowninfohub.org. And additionally, we encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly text line, another program under Resolve Philly, allowing Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. The Equal Info Line is a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that provides bedded local news and resources to subscribers. To start asking questions, you can text Equal Info to 73224. Equally Informed also supplies a community-driven print newsletter, and it's available at health centers and libraries all over the city. And that's it. I am Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom Join. I'm Aleka Fruin. Thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. Thank you to our guests for speaking with us today. And of course, until next time, good night, Germantown.